If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Daily Roto TV here on SportsGrid. My name is Davis Maddock. I'm joined by Christopher Pacheco and Ricky Sanders. Today, we break down a little bit of the 2020 NFL Draft, more from a Dynasty Fantasy Football perspective, but also, you know, talking about some of the team fits, where we think some of the guys are maybe going to go, where we think, uh, you know, maybe they're not going to go there, but some potentially good destinations. And we're going to go ahead and start out in this first segment talking about the running backs because uh you know rookie running backs are just a little bit more likely to produce right away for fantasy football and i actually think that uh ricky this is a a pretty fantastic class of rookie running backs to me there's not really much of a difference between jonathan taylor saquon barkley ezekiel elliott um you know the way that we thought about leonard fournette not that he has panned out that way in the nfl but fournette was thought about you know as one of these super elite prospects uh where are you at with jonathan taylor yeah, I think Taylor is clearly the best, if if only because we're talking about someone from running back you who's had some serious success, who has added the receiving aspect to his game. Now, I think Zeke is probably one of the best comparables to him because he's not like heavily reliant on the passing game. But it is noticeable that last year, five receiving touchdowns, the first five of his career. And by the way, if you could ever tell that we were living in a simulation, how about the first two guys in the NFL draft who are at running back being named Taylor Swift? This is all just an elaborate Oh, that's so list. funny. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even put that together until right now, Ricky. 
Yeah, uh, so I'm happy to help there. But yeah, this guy looks like he's legitimate. Under a 4440, a 99th percentile speed score. So, you know, this is a guy with a ton of, of talent. 77 spark score isn't like unbelievable. But you look at the crop of backs. I mean, we've had this conversation. Drew would tell you Ron Dane was the last great back uh, at a place like Wisconsin. But I mean, we've seen Melvin Gordon, we've seen James White, we've seen a every, whole bunch. Every running back who has started yeah. for the Wisconsin Badgers in the last decade has been an NFL player, and that's not including yeah. the backup to those guys. So, like, we have like Corey Clement and um, mm -hmm. James White, who were like rotational backs at the University of Wisconsin, and those guys have become, you know, real players in the NFL. So, Pacheco, what do you think about this take? Uh, that the University of Wisconsin doesn't really want to throw to running backs as the way that they go about things, but they started passing to Jonathan Taylor in his final season because for them to keep getting these elite running backs and recruiting, they're going to have to, those running backs to go in the first, second round of the NFL draft, they're going to have to prove that they catch passes. Do you think, do you buy my conspiracy theory on Taylor catching all those passes in his final season at Wisconsin? I mean, I think it perhaps has some merit to it. I think, you know, Taylor is like legitimately pretty good uh, at catching sure. passes too, uh, as far as his skills are, are concerned. Um, typically Wisconsin's a team that runs the ball a lot and you'd see him from his, from his actual attempts year to year. It's been pretty much a 300 plus uh, for his entire career. And then last season, all of a sudden, you know, he caught 26 passes. Um, so it was, whether you want to buy into that conspiracy theory of yours or, or maybe he's just good at it and, and learned that skill. Right. Um, there, there seems to be uh, something there. And I do think going back to, to Ricky's point, it does seem to me like he's one of the, the more polished uh, running backs coming into this draft. Uh, certainly perhaps even more so than someone like Deandre Swift, uh, who I thought to be a, a spectacular back uh, in college. Uh, he, he was really electric, is the word I, I describe him. And I, I think he definitely has a place in the NFL. Uh, but the combine numbers, uh, Davis, were were okay. I, I wasn't like, yeah. you know, I wasn't they were, like they were taken away fine. by them. They were just fine, which was, uh, I guess, a little bit weird, uh, given some of the stuff that I saw w with him in, in college. Uh, but I think, John, you can make the case that John Taylor is a better prospect than DeAndre Swift going into the NFL draft this season. Yeah, so I think that the arguments for people that like Swift more are, you know, he was a more natural pass catcher in college. He had 17, 32, and 24 receptions in his three seasons at Georgia. Uh, he was also getting used in a backfield that included Nick Chubb, Anthony Michelle. So his freshman season, he was kind of the third down back with those with you know future you know almost first round NFL draft picks I guess in the case of Michelle last pick of the first round so you know he was he was getting production in a backfield with other NFL players I I am team Taylor over Swift e like even in fantasy even though I do expect that Swift is probably going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft and it seems like Jonathan Taylor uh, the most popular place right now Ricky for him to be mocked is the Pittsburgh Steelers at the 49 overall pick in the NFL draft. I think if he goes to Pittsburgh, he pretty much immediately replaces James Conner. I think that James Conner will get, you know, 60 carries or whatever over the course of the 2020 season. Maybe we see a little bit of Jalen Samuels on third downs and stuff. But I mean, to me, I think I think if, if Jonathan Taylor, even if he is selected after Swift, now unless if Swift could get drafted, Ricky, 
to the Kansas City Chiefs at pick 32. Mm. If that if that happens, what are we what are we doing with Swift and fantasy? I mean, I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream. I'm not sure that that's going to be their their first concern, but that would be an unbelievable fit. I right. mean, okay, so the you know comparing these two players is really difficult because it's the old like what league they played in and how do you factor that in, which is always our concern across all sports, right? You had the Big Ten, which wasn't bad. Uh, you know, they they showed well in bowl games, but. When you have a guy in the SEC averaging almost seven yards per carry, that player feels like they're on another planet. I mean, he rushed for 6.6 yards per carry in his entire career in the SEC. You mentioned those other backs that he played with. 17 rushing touchdowns during his final two seasons, 1,000 rushing yards in each. I know there's, like, ridiculous numbers from Taylor, but the question becomes, like, what would Taylor have done if he were in the SEC? I'm not sure you could say he would have for sure put up the same sort of numbers. So there's no doubt that Swift is one of the best talents in this entire draft, and he's got the comparison to, like, a Miles Sanders because, like you mentioned, he's the more – uh, polished receiver of the two. So I think for fantasy purposes, a lot of people are going to be interested in Swift. This honestly may come down to landing spot. Whoever lands with Pittsburgh, though, because of their history with the workhorse backs, would probably be my number one selection here, just regardless of if it's Taylor or if it's Swift. I want the guy that lands with Pittsburgh because I am with you on, on Connor. I think he is the just the guy. We've discussed this. He kind of became the guy after Le'Veon Bell left, and they kind of just wanted to prove that they could use the guy they had and still be successful. Def- I think they're, I think they're I looking for someone else. I definitely think that's true. Like, I think, like, it doesn't matter if it was James Connor. didn't matter if it was Benny Snell. Like, they would have just, whoever the guy that was there after Le'Veon Bell left, they were going to feed that dude a ton of carries, you know, kind of regardless. <laughs> Davis, can I counter um, Ricky's point? Because go for it. And I and I definitely I definitely don't want to get into like a a big college football um, <laughs> argument here because I know that's not what the show is about. But um, the, when you talk about the SEC, it's pretty much Bama, LSU, and then there the are some drop. bad SEC oh. teams these days. Like some of these bottom end SEC teams would like do bad in the, in the big 12, which is like a notoriously non-competitive conference. I now granted, I will, I will say this, the big 10, they're, they're good to average teams are not good to average on offense. It's all, it's like the most defensive, the most defensive um, league in, in football, which used to not be true. It used the SEC, used to have all of the sick defensive prospects. Correct. Now they all go to Big Ten schools other than Bama and LSU who get, you know, I, I don't know, they take 10 defensive players to the NFL every single year between the two of them. That, and that, that was going to be my, my main point with the SEC. You just you have two uh, pretty dominant teams for sure. And, well, and even defensively, Georgia Bama. Georgia is really good too. Georgia, Georgia to their credit as well. Um, so you can you can definitely group them in that conversation. Uh, but once you get outside of the top two to three, and even Bama last year was really questionable, especially in bigger games, um, defensively that is, which was really surprising to see from them. Um, the drop is significant defensively. I mean, teams like Ole Miss, uh, you know, maybe Missouri um, had some some decent stretches defensively. Um, not last year, just in years past. But those days are gone. So I, I definitely don't think the SEC – um, is that great defensively? I guess is my point, Ricky. 
Something I something I really like to do is just look at what guys do against the the toughest competition, right? So for Jonathan Taylor, it would be, you know, what did he do against Ohio State? 20 carries for 148 yards and a touchdown, two receptions for eight yards in the second game. However, Wisconsin at Ohio State in the regular season, 20 carries, 52 yards, no touchdowns in uh, just an absolute molly whopping. They got, they just got, ab- they just got destroyed in that game. And uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's as fair for DeAndre Swift to be put in that because, mm-hmm. again, like Georgia is really good on defense, but Georgia's offense is is mostly pretty bad. But uh, you know, DeAndre Swift had good games against Auburn and A and M. But I I would mm-hmm. say that DeAndre Swift's final season at Georgia has to be considered mostly a disappointment, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, below average games against Notre Dame. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, his biggest games are coming against South Carolina who went, who had a losing record in conference and Kentucky. So I'm, I'm definitely a Jonathan Taylor guy there, but we got to talk about some of the other guys in this class because it's pretty deep. I, I think Pacheco that Cam Akers is better than J.K. Dobbins, that he's going to be a better pro, that he mm-hmm. tested better at the combine, that he just seems like a more impressive player. That's not how things are ranked at all. You know, he's, Dobbins is going to go ahead in the NFL draft. Dobbins is going ahead in fantasy drafts right now. What do you think about those two? Uh, I'm with you uh, on Akers. I, I think he's he's going to be fantastic uh, at the NFL level. I I wonder if it's just because Dobbins, you know, played in, in a bigger school. I, I like I'm not sure why you why they would rank Dobbins ahead of Akers. Um, I'm, like I'm legitimately not sure. Uh, if you look at everything, uh, it seems like Akers is either a comparable back or just flat out better. Um, and so I personally like him more um, as a prospect going into the season and really uh, for for fantasy for fantasy moving forward. I guess a lot of it too, Javis, depends on where these guys land. So as, as yeah, much as I sure. would want to say, you know, Akers over Dobbins for, for sure, straight up, it's going to depend a lot on the landing spot. What about you, Ricky? Akers or Dobbins? I really like what I've seen in Dobbins. What worries me about him is the lack of pass protection. Whenever you get a back whose weakest skill is that in the mm-hmm. NFL, you know, we have seen it so many times where guys should be on the field, but they're sitting because of their pass protection uh, you know, they're lacking in that asset, and I think that Akers has the higher floor because of that, at least in the short term. I think Dobbins is a great player. I mean, I think he should excel in, a, you know, a scheme that where his vision will allow him to get into the gaps. I mean, he is consistently a guy who could win foot races if you could get him in that open space. But I think Akers might be the more complete player of the two. I mean, it's, it's really tough combining two excellent players. But I really worry about, you know, pass protection in the NFL because I have – I'm sure you guys have too. I'm trying to think of the last guy. But pass protection amongst NFL backs who you think should be Ron, on the field. Ronald just Jones. Aren't. Ronald yep. Jones is the mo- – he's the most recent one who everyone thought he was going to be great. And he barely ever had to pass protect at USC. Didn't really catch passes at USC. And, you know, he came in and it was just – it was it was over for him, right? Because exactly. uh, the, the coaches just didn't trust him to pass protect. So when you talk about some of the other guys a little bit deeper down, 
down. Uh, my my two biggest, you know, quote unquote sleepers, though, by this point, A.J. Dillon is not really a sleeper anymore. Everyone saw what he did at the combine. And though I believe it's true, Pacheco, that A.J. Dillon did not catch a single pass. His final season at Boston College, literally zero receptions. I, I think he's going to be drafted way too high for a guy who didn't catch any passes, but that's going to lead to him having a role in the NFL. Darrington Evans is another popular sleeper. And then uh, Pacheco, Lynn Bowden. What, what do you think he's going to do in the NFL? I really like Lynn Bowden. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him too. Um, it's tough to tell because he, he was a multifaceted player. Let, let's put it that way. Um, I, th- I definitely think he's an interesting po- uh, prospect coming out of Kentucky. As far as A.J. Dillon is concerned, uh, Davis, uh, when you mentioned he caught zero passes, you were right. It just wasn't his senior season. Uh, it was his freshman season. Uh, the okay. senior season, he caught um, 13 passes. But typically— Oh, wow, there we it, go. But so it's big not, for him. I know it's a really big number for him specifically because he he really didn't catch much passes the the previous two seasons uh, before that. Um, The thing is, from an efficiency standpoint, things were pretty like okay there. Like he averaged 5.2 yards per carry for his career at the college level, which I mean at the NFL level it would be surreal, right? But at the college level, I think that's it's fine. It's nothing to like just wow at. Um, but as you mentioned, the combine numbers were, were really good, uh, and he was productive at the college football level. Um, I guess it's as you say, he's not going to be a, a real sleeper per se anymore. I think there clearly is something there. Yeah. Uh, do you have do you have thoughts on any of those sleeper guys? Darrington Evans, I think, is the one who, uh, you know, he played at a smaller school, Appalachian State, was really good, really productive, super great spark score and everything. So I think he's a guy who's flying up rookie boards. Yeah, I think he kind of reminds me of like a Taiwan Jones where I don't know if you remember uh, with the Raiders, like everyone oh, was so excited. Buddy, about, I remember Taiwan Jones. Everyone was so excited about that big playability. And I don't think there's too much else to that game. I mean, he's 5'11", he's a small dude, he's shifty, and he has taken to the house type speed. But I just don't think you could rely on him as anywhere near an every down back. He's got to kind of be a gimmick guy and or like a third down guy who could get in space. And there's certainly a place for that. I mean, Tariq Cohn is kind of a, a similar dude. I think he probably has much better hands than we're talking about with Darrington Evans. But, you know, we see offenses all the time kind of finding a place for these explosive dudes, but they just have limited upside in dynasty leagues. I think in best ball leagues where you could catch him on the week that he does break away, that makes a lot more sense to me for these type of guys. If he can find a role as a third down back and you can have those reliable receptions, I would be okay with that too. I just think there's a lot more ifs to a player like this than a complete back like the ones we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I, I think that that uh, I think that that is you know it, it's pretty likely true. Um, do you have do you have any real quick before we get out of here, Pacheco? Do you have thoughts on Eno Benjamin, a guy who probably cost himself some mm-hmm. money with his final season at Arizona State, where he went from being you know a, a real stud to a pretty average player his final season at Arizona State? And, yeah, and I'm and I I thought it was pretty disappointing because we touted him a bunch. Um, during his college football season. It's not that he didn't deliver in certain uh, points of the season. It was just, uh, as you say, a really disappointing end to the season. And I don't know what that means for him, Davis. Like, coming out of college in that last season not being super productive, uh, things might not bode uh, too well for him uh, in the NFL. I think 
someone like Lynn Bowden, who we were just talking about, um, given his fantastic uh, end of the end of the season, this this upcoming season, uh, this past season, excuse me, um, that that guy makes a little bit more sense. He was really explosive. Um, believe he averaged close to like eight yards per carry, but he was also uh, playing back for Kentucky um, at, at certain points. He just didn't pass the ball much. Um, so I think that might be a little bit more interesting of a prospect than even someone like, you know, Benjamin. I think that that is probably true. So that's going to wrap up our running back talk right after we get back from the break. We are going to go ahead and get into talking about some of the top wide receivers. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, everyone, hello, and welcome back to Daily Roto TV here on SportsGrid. My name is Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders and Christopher Pacheco. Uh, in our first segment, we broke down a large segment of the rookie running backs in the 2020 NFL Draft. Now, we are going to shift our focus to the rookie wide receivers. Pacheco, I'm just going to throw it to you. C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy, show your work. That's that's really tough. <laughs> that's really tough because both of these guys were. I mean, electric doesn't do it justice. Um, the real answer might be C.D. Lamb. I, I think that might be the that's real what answer I think. here. Um, yeah. And it, and the differences are, are very subtle um, from a from like a high perspective. I think they're both pretty similar. Um, don't have the exact uh, numbers in front of me, but I think they're pretty similar uh, from that perspective. Um, I just think what CeeDee Lamb did at Oklahoma uh, was a little bit more, um, like it it, it it was better than Judy at Alabama, if, if that makes any sense. And, yeah, and I mean, Judy was, was fantastic. More, he was a more dominant player because Oklahoma yeah. need, like, I mean, needed might be a little bit strong, but I think that mm-hmm. Oklahoma needed C.D. Lamb to be a really good player for their offense to function, whereas if Judy, you know, like, if if Jerry Judy literally Mm -hmm. sat out his final season at Alabama, do we think that their offense would have looked that much different? You know, do we think that their win-loss record would have looked that much different? Probably not. We saw the Oklahoma offense without C.D. Lamb for one game, and it was a lot worse, and it just turned into Jalen Hurts running the ball. Like, I think he literally ran the ball over 30 times in that game. Mm -hmm. It was a total ground and pound. Uh, What about you, Ricky? Lamb or Judy? I'm going the other side of this one. I'm going Judy, and I don't think you can hold it against Judy that Alabama's just ridiculous when it comes to recruiting. I mean, it's the old... Uh, what did you know? the Cavaliers look like when LeBron James sat out? I mean, of course they were going to be terrible. He was LeBron James. But Jerry Judy to me, and you guys can tell me, I've been grinding this tape this week because I have picked 102 in our rookie draft. I'm doing another dynasty. I'm trying to figure out how to value these guys. He looks just like Chad Ochocinco to me. I mean, that seems like the exact kind of receiver that Jerry Judy is. Pretty shifty, not gigantic, but often can go up there and get it and have a very productive NFL career. I mean, Lamb's not much bigger. Uh, I think he's 6'2". So you have pretty comparably sized guys. And Judy comes from you know Alabama, which has had a lot of recent success when it comes to wide receivers. I just think the combination of being big enough and the ability to go up and get it and kind of his breakaway speed. I mean, he was under a 4-5-40 kind of guy. I know Lamb was the more dominant college player, but I think if you put Judy in a similar scenario, he would have been dominant as well. Uh, I don't think you could take that by itself being the reason that Lamb's better. It's certainly close to a coin flip, but I think Judy's my guy here. Uh, And having seen some of these mock drafts with him landing with either like the Jets or Eagles, I think they would be such good landing places for Judy uh, that if you put him on one of those teams, I mean, give Sam Darnold Jerry Judy, and I really would love to see what he can do. Yeah, so Judy is actually in a really interesting spot for fantasy because I I think he is going to go before Lamb in the NFL draft. And I think that he probably is either going to be drafted by the Raiders or by the Jets, both of 
you know, in both scenarios, he's immediately going to top wide receiver, sort of similar to A.J. Brown last year, or actually Marquise Brown, who when he was active, he was the leading wide receiver for his team. Whereas I think Lamb is going to go a little bit later. Uh, you know, we have talked on the show before about, you know, I really want Lamb to go to Dallas where he would he would maybe even be like fifth in line for targets as a rookie. So it just would not be as good of a spot for fantasy. I, I thought an interesting place, Pacheco, though, is at 15, I think Denver wants a wide receiver. You know, it seems like Deshaun Hamilton's probably not going to work out. Uh, they they traded away Manny Sanders last year. They have Noah Fant. They're pretty set at running back. Their offensive line's pretty, like their offensive line is good. The defense obviously has, you know, just all-stars at, at pretty much every level of the defense. I think Denver is probably going to take a wide receiver at 15. Wouldn't it be crazy, though, if they took Henry Ruggs instead of Judy? I, I think there is a non-zero chance that Ruggs goes ahead of Judy, despite the fact that Judy was the better player, you know, every year at Alabama. I was just about to say, like, for as much as we're praising Judy, and he, he deserves every bit of it, he might not be the best receiver in his own team, which is just really wild. Because, I mean, CeeDee Lamb, he didn't have that at Oklahoma. He was very clearly uh, the top guy, and then there was a drop-off. Um, I think the fit in Denver would be very interesting. I I don't know, man. Denver doesn't give me a lot of confidence with some of their moves. Um, no. Like no it would be a terrible they, landing spot. Like the fact that they signed Melvin Gordon when they have Philip Lindsay, and, and I don't know what that says about Philip Lindsay, but Clearly, they wanted to spend money on another running back, which to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it's a dubious spot. I, I wish it was a like I, I do wish that it was Oakland, because I, as you mentioned, uh, Davis, like if he went to Oakland, there's a, a very good chance that he's their top receiver right away, which would make things significantly better from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I think that I think, uh, you know, that that is probably true. So I'm team lamb. Sounds like your team lamb sounds like Ricky is a uh, is team Judy. But this is, I think, the deepest wide receiver class we've had, you know, pre-draft since that legendary 2014 class, you know, with which, uh, by the way, it's so funny that everyone forgets Philip Dorsett was a first round selection in that draft class, which is just like, it's like wow. literally the greatest draft class of all time. And there was a first round wide receiver in that class who was like a six string wide receiver on the New England Patriots. Like it's just, <laughs> it is, it's just very funny. But so after Lamb and Judy, we have Ruggs, we have Jalen Rager, we have T Higgins, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, LaVisca Chenault. So Ricky, I'm wondering where does your tier end of like, I expect these guys to be stars, stu- you know, like multiple wide receiver uh, one seasons are is in their range of outcomes for fantasy football. Where does your your tier end? Okay, you kind of threw me off there within the range of outcomes because the guys I think is likely for the you know sure thing wide receiver one multiple seasons are probably the Lamb Judies just according to you know where we're looking at their landing spots. I think Lavisca is clearly in there for me. I think Mims has the size to be one of those guys. Like he seems like the Cortland Sutton dude who just has who's just a big receiver and can come in and because of athletic ability can just beat guys to the ball at the NFL level. So I think he definitely needs to be in there. I don't know if Jefferson's in the same tier for me, but I do want to talk about LaVisca for a second because he just seems okay, he's the more filled out receiver. We talked about CeeDee Lamb. We talked about Judy. They're both around 200 pounds. We're talking about 6'1", 227. Chenault is huge. 
Yeah, we're talking about almost the exact same size as like an A.J. Brown. And I think you can use him the same way as an A.J. Brown. I know you brought him up in comparison to the others, but he excels out of the slot. You can play him on the outside. He has great speed. Uh, I think he is a player who is moving up most of the industry's draft boards at this point. But to me, he is clearly a guy. When you look at the skill set that is almost identical to that of A.J. Brown, we saw what a player like that could do. He's clearly in that tier. And again, Mims, I just think, is a guy who has the physical traits that could get you there. I think it's probably those guys and then a slight dip. But there's certainly, I mean, T. Higgins is, is up there. There's, there's a lot of guys who it's within their range of outcomes. I think I would have to, you know, allude to that. So I think mine is four, but I wouldn't hate you if you you expanded it to like eight. I mean, I could understand it. So I I think I'm a little bit closer to that, though, as we were talking about the other day in our, uh, you know, our our group chat, I don't think even even Lamb, who I love, I don't Mm -hmm. think any of these guys project as Julio Jones, DJ Moore, Michael Thomas level mega studs. I think what we do have is a class of eight guys who are all like Anquan Boldens, where like they might be productive for a really long time, you know, provided good landing spots. I think Lamb, Judy, Rager, Ruggs, uh, Higgins, Jefferson, Mims, and Chenault is that list for me. The one that I actually dislike from that group, Pacheco, is Higgins. He was really slow at the combine, like way slower. <laughs> than I thought he would be. And I know he's more of like a Des Bryant, like box out style guy, but I, I am not particularly interested in Higgins for, for dynasty purposes. What do you think about him? Me neither. I I, I definitely wouldn't group him with any of these guys. I I don't, I don't believe he belongs in the same conversation at all. Not that he can't be productive in that type of way at the NFL level. I, I personally just don't see him being anywhere near these guys. And, uh, Here's the thing, Davis. What do we do with Justin Jefferson? Because if production matters at the college football level, uh, and specifically the last season for a player, uh, I realize he had Joe Burrow under center, and that might have inflated some of these numbers for sure. But it's it's over 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns. I mean, that's that's very significant. And the thing is, the two seasons before that, I mean, season right before that, um, when he was a sophomore, he didn't even top 1,000 yards. Obviously, it was a different context. Um, but you get where I'm saying. If, if his yeah, last season a, was so incredibly productive. And he's a yeah. late breakout, and he played with a quarterback who we all pretty much universally agree is going to step into the NFL and like already be one of the best 15 quarterbacks probably that's out there in terms of like, you know, just being able to being able to distribute the ball, you know, maybe not running, maybe not in terms of wins, but he's just already a great quarterback. And I think, I think guys like Justin Jefferson, um, I think guys like Michael Pittman, guys who really were sort of average players until their final season of college, Mm -hmm. it's just very hard to evaluate those guys. You know, Ricky, we all got burned last year by Hakeem Butler, who was a super average player at Iowa State. And then, you know, all the other NFL quality talent left Iowa State. And all of a sudden, you know, he was getting 60 more targets than everyone else on the team. He had this great final season, had a good combine. We all got tricked. And then he went in the fourth round of the NFL draft and and didn't even play. I think there is some of that potential with T. Higgins and, and Justin Jefferson both. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, Jefferson, like you mentioned, I think played with the be- we're going to talk quarterbacks, but I think played with the best quarterback prospect since at least Andrew Luck. I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a guy who can go up and get the ball, but I don't see him being too different than like a Tyler Boyd. Uh, you know, a possession receiver, he's very good, but it's not really a guy that we expect to be, you know, multiple wide receiver one sort of seasons, which is how you frame this. So I think he could be a good NFL player. I just don't see it in terms of being a great NFL player. And Michael Pittman, a guy who kind of got there, I mean, he's kind of a similar dude. I mean, he's a big guy who you just don't expect to break a defense. I think Anquan Bolden is probably a good comparison when talking specifically about him. Yeah, I I didn't mean all those guys played like Anquan Bolden just in terms of like fantasy value. No, I know. Pittman and Bolden are actually a really good comp, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know what you're saying in terms of like just being a consistent fantasy producer for a long time. And I agree with that with with these guys, especially if we can find some good landing spots. Um, But I think... You know, in terms of the level of excitement you should have for dynasty football leagues, there's clearly the guys with the speed element should be kind of above the guys who are a threat for, you know, 50, 60 catches a year kind of guys, especially in the beginning. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got to we got to chat about some of these sleepers. I think both Antonio Gandy Golden and Antonio Gibson are guys I'm really interested in. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit before, but Pacheco, I mean, Chase Claypool I, I am a, like, this dude is going to be a monster. Chase Claypool is going to be a really good NFL player. And I don't care. I don't care if he's got to be moved to tight end. I don't care if he only plays in the slot. I think Chase Claypool is going to be a good NFL player. What, what, are you are you in as a Notre Dame fan? I mean, I almost have to be, right? It would be doing a, a disservice um, if I'm not. Uh, yet another, you know, late breakout, though, Uh which is I mean, li- just, literally, like only one year of production for him. Yeah. Literally, just one year, and it happened to be his senior year. Um, Notre Dame definitely needed it, and the offense was just not going to look the same without him. Um, you know, big size. Uh, you talk about a guy that can get up and you know go up and get it. Th- this is this is who you're talking about. Um, had over a thousand yards in his senior season. Had 13 receiving touchdowns. Uh, you know. Uh, Davis, another thing that I, I definitely noticed about Claypool is uh, against good defenses. Like he played against Georgia and did well. That was that was something that I, I took. I certainly took note of. Um, it's tough. It's tough to say if he's going to pan out fully. Um, I definitely hope that he does. I, I think landing spot is going to matter a little bit um, with someone like this. Uh, if he happens to land in the right spot. And, I mean, he can be a legitimate red zone threat right off the bat. And so I think he's going to have value from that perspective. Outside of that, you know, he's not really a possession receiver per se. But I do think that if a team utilizes him correctly, he's going to have value at the NFL level. I love these kinds of players. You get them going to, you know, a a good fit with a great coach somewhere like New England. Uh, Give me Antonio Gandy-Golden with Belichick and find a role for him. Uh, I just get excited about those sort of players, even though it's clear that, like, you know, starting from day one, there's probably three routes that the player's going to be comfortable with. But if you could kind of find the right system to morph him into a good player, that body is just unteachable. A lot of those guys turn into false hope, but I think Gandy Golden at least is a guy with a legitimate ceiling. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I think that that is pretty likely true. Some of the other names in this class of guys who have their their various stands, Van Jefferson from Florida, uh, both Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson from the University of Texas. K.J. Hill was a guy who got some pub, but he had a really horrible combine, was so slow and so small. Uh, another guy that I really like is Gabriel Davis from the University of Central Florida. I think he has a very high ceiling as an NFL prospect, but that is going to do it for us here in our second segment, chatting about the wide receivers of the 2020 NFL Draft. We will be back on SportsGrid here after uh, a quick short break. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Daily Roto TV here on SportsGrid. Uh, I'm I'm Davis Maddock. I'm joined by Ricky Sanders and Christopher Pacheco as we head into our final segment for the day, discussing the quarterbacks and the tight ends of the 2020 NFL Draft. Uh, and and I just gotta I gotta put it like this, Ricky. Do we have any concerns with Joe Burrow at all? You know, age. Uh, he was playing with a ton of NFL players. He had, you know, an NFL offensive coordinator calling his plays. Any concerns at all for Joe Burrow? So I feel like you threw this over to me trying to get me to say something negative about Joe Burrow. And I don't think it's possible for me to do such a thing. Uh, I think the concern with him was laid out by Joe Burrow on Twitter is his smallish hands. But if you've ever watched him throw a football, I'm pretty sure those concerns go away basically immediately. I mean, he's got solid mobility for a guy whose specialty is not mobility. Every quarterback that comes out that has such things is going to be compared to Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to be just another guy who compares him to Rodgers because I don't think his arm strength is quite as good, but his accuracy is ridiculous. I mean, you watch game tape from basically any game. He has the accuracy of a pro. He makes pro throw after pro throw. And if, you know, the concern with his arm strength is the main thing here. We've seen him make throws 40 yards downfield on a dime. Like, I don't have any of those concerns. Again, I think this might be a better prospect than Andrew Luck. I think I'm way high on Joe Burrow. I love this guy. I think he steps in from day one and turns whichever franchise, whether it's the Bengals, whether it's the Dolphins, he turns them around and makes them competitive. I, I just love this guy. Uh, all right, Pacheco, any concerns about Joe Burrow at all? I can't believe I'm going to be the one to say I. there's a, at least somewhat of a concern in my mind. I, I definitely I, thought it was going to be Ricky. I, I think it's reasonable because he is so old. So, like, he is yeah. older than Sam Darnold. Uh, he's older than Kyler mm-hmm. Murray. He's older than um, Daniel Jones. Like, he is yeah. – so he was, for those who don't know, who who are hearing of this for the first time, he actually was a backup quarterback at Ohio State, and it became clear that, you know, just their never-ending succession of athletic young quarterbacks were going to play ahead of him because their their system is just – it's better built for that style of quarterback. So he left – he actually, and and also it's it's other. This is this very funny thing where people think he only started one year, but he actually started in the 2018 season. He he was the LSU quarterback in 2018, right. and he was good. It's not like he was bad, but he wasn't like I mean these like he was a guy who didn't even really have odds posted to win the Heisman Trophy. Like we're talking about. Uh, an SEC quarterback who was like 100 to 1 to win the Heisman Trophy before the season started. So there are, I think, some concerns, mostly alleviated by the fact that every time they played a good team, he just destroyed them. But I think it's reasonable to be 5% concerned about Joe Burrow, maybe. At least somewhat skeptical is is what I would say. And here's his 2018 season. Uh, he threw for 16 touchdowns and passed for a little bit shy of 3,000 yards and completed 58% of his passes. The thing is, his senior season was such a just insanity ceiling season where he threw for 60 touchdowns, completed 76% of his passes. I mean, just really, really absurd numbers. And, and obviously, he took on a different level in that season, but he wasn't consistently putting up these numbers is my point. And so f- just for that for that reason I do have 
at least a shiver of skepticism because I, I didn't see it in a consistent way. But if we're going to get, you know, if we're going to get his senior season moving forward um, at the end of all, clearly teams are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's fair. Just for the record, Andrew Luck, his first season as a starter, 2,575 yards, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. Those those aren't exactly incredible numbers. Mind you, he was a freshman, mm-hmm. but guys are allowed to get better. Come on now. For sure. Yeah. For sure. That wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't my point. My point is just well, that we saw a full season of him being a starter just the season before that, and he was just okay at best. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that, uh, is, is pretty fair. So some of these other, some of these other quarterbacks, like I, I, first of all, Tua or Herbert, Ricky, which one, which one do you prefer? Which one do you like better? Firmly on Tua, where I start to really worry about this class is Herbert and below. I've got Tua in a tier of his own and Joe Burrow in a tier of his own above that. That's how I rank this class. I'm a little worried about the sporadic nature of Herbert's accuracy. Uh, Tua, very accurate guy. The concern with him is the hip injury, just how how much that affects him in the future. Durability seems to be a little bit of an issue with him, but as long as he can stay healthy and put this behind him, I think he should be a good NFL quarterback for a long time. I think Burrow has the true potential to be absolutely great. I don't think Tua Mm -hmm. has quite the ceiling, but then I think once you go down, it's can guys find themselves in a scenario where they could be the starter and are they good enough by default to hang on to the job? I don't, I don't really see the same sort of ceilings for the other guys. You could maybe tell me I'm wrong. Jalen Hurts could be a guy who could be a niche quarterback, I think, and find a job for quite some time if he could find a coordinator that's willing to commit to him. But Herbert and Love, I'm not as high on as the field. So I, I think Herbert sucks. I, I just, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't think he is a, a, like maybe he'll, I think he will have kind of like an Osweilerian career where like, you know, Brock Osweiler is still a backup quarterback in the NFL. Herbert's going to stick around for a long time. I don't think he, maybe, maybe like he'll be Andy Dalton, right? Where he gets a bunch of first round exits and nine win seasons and stuff. But I, I just don't really see it with Justin Herbert. Uh, what about, what about you, Pacheco? Do you think, do you think there's a ceiling for Herbert that I should be giving him? No. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think he's more like the other guys we'll talk about rather than Burrow or Tua. I, I also think Tua is on a tier of his own. Um, and I think he, he definitely has a ceiling to him. Here's a, a good comp that you're going to like, Davis. Tua in college, uh, in, a, in a good amount of ways, reminded me a lot of Jameis Winston, uh, where he just, dude, the dude just lets it rip. There could yeah. be four defenders there, and he's like, yeah, but you're going to have a chance to catch it. So here it goes. Um, definitely a gunslinger. Um, so, and then, obviously, to that, there is the concern that, you know, he might be too pass-happy and just passes it everywhere, regardless of, of how many defenders are there for a receiver. Um, but I definitely see a very different ceiling on him than someone like Justin Herbert. And then I think the class kind of drops a bit. And that's why I say Herbert is a little bit more, you know, like a guy like Jake from, from Georgia, who I don't think is bad. I do think, you know, he might have he had a, a future he had a whole as a documentary backup. made about him called QB one. Yeah. Jake from well, true story. And that, if you guys are, if you guys are super yeah. bored, there is a, there's a documentary that, well, it's like, it's like a bunch of other of the top rated quarterbacks in high school. And Jake from just happened to be one of them from this documentary made like four years ago. I think the only other guy that I see 
like a legitimate ceiling on is Jalen Hurts. And I and I know we're gonna get to him uh in, in a bit here, so I don't want to rush it. But I think he he could end up being more, you know, tool like from a production perspective, uh, from any of the guys that we've uh, spoken about at this point. I look yeah. forward, by the way, to the sequel to that Jake Fromm documentary, QB three, and then the inevitable sequel to that practice squad. So <laughs> what's, what's very funny? What's very funny about this show is that there are now like. Um, like those guys are starting to come to the NFL, but also it's like Justin Fields was on that show the next season and he's the Ohio state quarterback. So like, I actually, I actually love that. This is, you know, continuing this, this is completely off topic, but I, first of all, I love this show and I love that it's continuing to happen because, uh, you know, being able to go back and watch these guys, if they become NFL quarterbacks will be really cool. But of course, because this is my show, we're going to talk about Jalen hurts who Ricky, I mean, I we've talked about it so much, but I I think he's going to go a lot higher in the NFL draft than people expect. For example, right now his over under on the FanDuel Sportsbook remains at around uh, 70, 75 and a half. I actually haven't pulled it up this week, so it could have moved a couple positions here or there. I I think he'll likely go in the second round, and I think that. He might not start right away, but when he does start, he is just going to be amazing for fantasy. Yeah, for fantasy, there's no question. You get that dual threat. Um, I wonder if the Chargers are holding off on signing some of these vets to kind of get a guy who, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a guy who is basically is comfortable with the scheme there. And I wonder if they're looking for a guy to kind of mimic that as their future quarterback instead of signing a Cam Newton and Andy Dalton, et cetera. Uh, I know they signed Tyrod. But you would think they would want a competition with Tyrod and someone else. And I wonder if Jalen Hurts is the type of guy that they're looking at here because he basically could be what we wanted from Tyrod to be all along. And I would love to see him fall into one of these places where he does have an opportunity to start in the future. But there's no question that we're talking about a guy who needs to fall into the right scenario. Like if we talk about him being drafted on a team that has a true starter, he could just be forever in purgatory for fantasy purposes. But if we're talking about ceiling amongst that next tier of players beyond Tua, and we both we seem to all agree that there's like one tier uh, of you know, Burrow and one tier of Tua, and then there's everyone else. I think it's pretty clear that he has the opportunity to rise to the crop there, especially when you factor in how important rushing is to the fantasy uh, or to the position of quarterback in fantasy. I think Hertz's ceiling is as high as any other guys. Yeah, I, I think I think all of that, you know, pretty succinctly sums up my case for for being in on him. And I also think there is maybe this impression that Jalen Hurts was bad at Alabama. Like I think mm-hmm. I think that people believe that he was bad at Alabama, and that's why he transferred. And uh, I I don't think that was the case. I just think Tua was really good. Uh, so in his 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 freshman year, his true freshman year. He averaged 7.3 yards per attempt, 2,780 passing yards, 23 touchdowns, nine interceptions to go with 954 rushing yards. This is as an 18-year-old in the SEC. I actually think he was even 17 when that season started because he's not even going to be 22 until next year. So, like, Jalen, like, he was just a lot better than than people believe. But we got we to gotta talk about some of the other uh, quarterback, quote-unquote, prospects in this class because Jordan Love is going to get drafted really high. Jake Eason is going to get drafted pretty high. Uh, and I think those are the seven guys that are going to get drafted. I think there's going to be a huge drop-off after those guys. But 
Pacheco, I, I kind of like Anthony Gordon, and I think that Gardner Minshew mm-hmm. showed why Washington State quarterbacks should just always be drafted because they're just going to have the reps. They're just good at getting the ball out. They know the system. Like, I think Anthony Gordon should probably be, like, a fourth-round pick as a backup quarterback. Pacheco? I'm there with you. Uh, here, Here's the thing. Seriously, what's the difference between Jacob Eason, and Jake Fromm and Anthony Gordon? Like, why are those guys listed ahead confidently? Because this is actually true. They were like more pedigreed high school recruits. And, and that stuff follows Fair. guys the whole, especially with quarterbacks and wide receivers. If you were a five-star high school recruit and you actually end up starting in college, you're pretty much going to go with the top 150 pick. Like it's just, that's just kind of the way that the math of that stuff works out. Whereas Anthony Gordon was, I think like a three-star rivals prospect. He just, he just was not highly regarded. And that's always what we get with these Washington state quarterbacks. Yeah, that, that actually makes sense. I just, uh, from watching them play, I don't really see big differences. And, And I could easily say Gordon is a little bit more impressive uh, than those guys from a production perspective. But yet again, he's in a school that throws like all the time. I mean, Washington State, when Mike Leach was there, they just don't run the ball. So these quarterbacks, to your point, Davis, are going to get tons of reps. Um, so Gordon does have that in his favor. Um, another guy that I'm, I'm, I'm just eh about is Jordan Love. I really, I like. I think it's, I don't. It's I don't fine. get it with Jordan. I, Love. I, I don't, don't get it with Jordan Love either. Yeah. Like I think it's fine, but. For him to go super high, which I think you're right, he probably will. I, I like J- Jalen Hurts better, and and clearly, in, in my eyes, it's very clear. So I'm I'm I don't know. Some of these things I'm I'm really skeptical skeptical on, and maybe it's because I've I've just watched a lot of college football and I've watched these guys specifically, and as a result, it's very difficult for me to see them ranked ahead of players that I I just like more as prospects. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, okay, so I wanted to real quick before we get out of here, talk about what is, you know, I, I think the worst class that the NFL draft has seen in a long time. There's one guy I like that I think, you know, maybe I would buy this guy in Dynasty Leagues, and that is Albert Oku Alberto is what we're going to call him. He has, a, he has a Samoan last name that I will not be able to pronounce correctly. He is a tight end from the University of Missouri. Uh, was just an extreme touchdown producer at the University of Missouri. Uh, not at Missouri. Missouri. Uh, I've, been, I've been here. I've been here too long, my guys. But what do we what do we think about Alberto, Ricky? So I'm not as high on him as you are. I agree that this class is not great. Talking about another guy who was a three-star high school recruit, uh, you know, came to Missouri, kind of stepped up his game from there. But if we're talking about the guys that I'm high on, it's, it's a like you mentioned, a very thin class. The guy I'm excited about, and it might be because he was the guy I had to watch pound IU every single time, Bryson Hopkins, to me, looked like a pro tight end. I mean, when you watched him, there was not a man on IU, not that, you know, they're the greatest defense, but there was not a guy who could stay in front of him. And he's a big dude too. I mean, this is a guy who's 6'4", 240. And he just looked every bit of like a Kyle Rudolph in his prime to me uh, as a college tight end. I mean, this is a guy who has 
the size for the red zone. He's got speed. He's got just everything you would want for a tight end. So I think he has staying power to be a very good tight end for a long time. But I think that's kind of the ceiling on these guys. We're not seeing any guy who's like the next Jeremy Shockey, the next guy we can compare to Jimmy Graham. That's just not here in this class. So I think you have to kind of compare him to Jared Cook, a Kyle Rudolph. And I think that's that's what you're going to get here. Maybe one guy surprises us, but I think Hopkins is the cream of the crop in my opinion. All right. You got you got 30 seconds, Pacheco, to give your take on the tight ends for this class. Thumbs up, thumbs down, anyone you like. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, Cole Komet, which I know I you know I was going to say this, Davis, because it's obviously. Notre Dame, obviously. I do like his size, and I think he's going to be a legitimate red zone threat. Again, depends on the landing spot and, and if he's uh, ac- adequately. Thaddeus Moss is a guy that has gotten a lot of chatter. Um because obviously he's Randy Moss's son. I think that he's skilled, but I do have my concerns, especially when it comes to his size. All right, everyone. Well, thank you very much for watching Daily Roto TV today on SportsGrid. This has been Davis Maddock, Ricky Sanders, and Christopher Pacheco breaking down a lot of the various ways that fantasy football is going to change from the 2020 NFL Draft. I hope that you guys enjoy the program, and we will be back tomorrow with more sports talk television in a world without sports. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.